0: What I'm going to do today, instead, I'm going to read the passage of Scripture in a moment, but before I do that, I want to talk to you about the importance of automobile maintenance. Amen? That's what you thought you were coming here for today, isn't it? How many of you have ever ever either driven in or been in a car that had bad tire or wheel alignment raise your hand if you have okay i see a bunch of hands and probably a bunch of other people you have but you just don't know it someone says well how how would i know it well i'm glad you asked one way to know if your car is improperly aligned is that if you took your hands off the steering wheel it just pulls to one side you've got an alignment problem If the steering wheel shakes, you have an alignment problem. If the car handles poorly, you have an alignment problem. And another issue that comes up when you have an alignment problem is that the tires on your car wear in an uneven way. So you get greater wear on some tires than other tires. You've got bad alignment. And so you're saying, okay, that's cool doesn't really sound like that big of a deal, but it actually can be a pretty big deal. So if your car is out of alignment, number one, you lose fuel efficiency. That means money's jumping out your pocket every mile you drive down the road. You're losing fuel efficiency, so it costs more to drive your car. Secondly, you increase the probability because of the tire wear of your car hydroplaning when the road is wet and that goes right with the third thing is that when you're improperly aligned with your car and your tires you can have more frequent accidents because you have less control of your car so hopefully you can see that when your car is out of alignment that can be costly right it can be problematic it can even end in a bad accident but brothers and sisters today what i want to talk to you about really is not the alignment of your tires i want to talk to you about the alignment of your heart with jesus heart and if your tires are not well aligned it can cause problems but i need somebody to help me right now if your spirit is not aligned with jesus If your spirit is off course with Jesus' spirit, you are in real trouble. I am in real trouble. It's a problem when the car isn't aligned, but my God, my God, when my heart is out of alignment with the God of my salvation, I'm in trouble. And so are you. And so today we want to look at what it means to have our hearts aligned with Jesus' heart. Let me read. You stay seated today, but let me read Matthew chapter five, verses six through eight. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they. We'll see God. The title of the sermon today is The Good Life, A Heart Aligned with Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we need to over and over again drive our hearts into the shop and allow your spirit and your word to realign us. And I pray that today, Lord God, that you will help us to see something. Everyone here, help us to see something of where you want to align our hearts more with you. Work now, Lord, by your word and through your spirit to do what you want to do in each person here today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we look at these verses, there's three aspects of a Jesus-aligned heart that we're going to look at. First of all, a Jesus-aligned heart is only satisfied with righteousness. Secondly, a Jesus-aligned heart is radically disposed to mercy. And then thirdly, a Jesus-aligned heart is exclusively devoted to pleasing God. So look again with me at verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled a jesus aligned heart is only satisfied with righteousness has anyone here ever been really really hungry Now, some of you that, yeah, I've been really hungry. I remember I was fasting one day. Amen. I've been hungry. I've fasted and gotten hungry. Some of us think, oh, my gosh, I think I'm going to die. I missed lunch and snack time isn't until 3 o'clock. I don't know if I can make it. Let me tell you, you can make it to 3 o'clock. You can make it to dinner. You can make it. we, we, We can sometimes think, like I missed a meal I'm so hungry I'm so thirsty we do the same thing with food and we're in lockdown survival mode because we missed a meal but but let me tell you Jesus knew what it was really like to be hungry in in the chapter before this in chapter 4 after he's baptized he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil led by the spirit to go into the wilderness and be tempted There's a lot we could unpack in that, but we're not going to do that today. But Jesus is out in the desert for 40 days and for 40 nights. He is fasting. He does not have a stash of trail mix behind some some rocks in the Judean desert. He doesn't. There are no Gatorade-producing cacti that he can take a swig from. It's not out there. Jesus knows what real hunger is and yet in the midst of that hunger in the midst of that place he is tempted by the enemy and even in his emaciated state he resists every temptation of the enemy by calling on the word of god let me suggest how does jesus do that Jesus knows something about what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This hunger, this thirst is the overwhelming, life-transforming, all-consuming desire to see God glorified in everything. So Jesus uses this language, this powerful language for his followers. Remember, this is spoken to disciples, those who follow Jesus, to say, I want that you should have this same hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Greek word that is used here for righteousness, don't try to say this to your neighbor, you might spit on them, but it's dikaiosune. And and this is a word that's used 23 times in Matthew. It's used often in Paul. It's a complex word. It has multiple meanings, but there are Two primary meanings with this word. And one thing that it means is to have your life aligned right so that you are walking in a way that pleases God. Righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But it also speaks of judicial fairness and rightness on a social scale as well. So a deep desire to see the scales made right in the world in which we live. D.A. Carson said these words. I think they'll be on the board. These people, hunger and thirst, not only that they may be righteous, that is, that they may wholly do God's will from the heart, but that justice may be done everywhere. He says all unrighteousness grieves them and makes them Homesick for the new heaven and earth, the home of righteousness. Satisfied with neither personal righteousness alone or social justice alone, and I would use the term biblical justice alone, they cry for both. In short, they long for the advent of the messianic kingdom Matthew's Gospel speaks of the kingdom of heaven. This is the desire for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. Well, that was what I just read to you was published in 1984 in a commentary on Matthew's Gospel by D.A. Carson 34 years ago. But I would suggest to you that that message is a critical message for us in 2018. There are many voices in so-called evangelical Christianity that press for a gospel message that makes no demands for justice, especially as it relates to the poor, the ethnic minorities, and to marginalized people. But the one who hungers and thirsts righteous for the righteousness of God is compelled to speak up on behalf of those who are discriminated against those who are routinely brutalized and those who are negatively profiled in an unjust world that serves the interest of the rich when the church does not speak up for these As the Old Testament prophets powerfully did, we lose credibility in the very communities that God is calling us to reach. This is a word for our church today. One of the things that attracted me to new life was the vision of new life. And I love the motto. I call it the tagline. Everybody says it's the motto. I call it the tagline. Because you matter to God and to us. What a beautiful sentiment. But brothers and sisters, those words need to be backed up by actions. Those words need to be backed up by what we say about specific situations. New Life is doing some great ministry in this community. We need to continue with that. But Jesus didn't only proclaim to love, but he cared for the needs of those he came to love. To those who were sick, he was the great physician. To those who were hungry, he was Wegmans on steroids. To those who were possessed of demons, he was the freedom giver who was able to set them free. To the bullied, to the broken, and to the bruised, Jesus not only talked the good game, but... His actions backed up his every word, and we must do no less in our day. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, make sure you hear this, we take our personal battles with our personal sin seriously. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we don't let ourselves off the hook real quick and say, well, God, you know, that's just the way I am. That's just the way i happen to be no we deal seriously with our own sin issues and we have a deep desire a deep hunger and thirst to honor god with our lives there is an unmistakable holy spirit rumblings that stir my hunger for my personal walk with god to be right in the same way When I see injustice, when I see people groups marginalized, when I see racism, that same Holy Spirit distresses me and calls me to action again. When I see that the world is out of alignment with the kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate, I cannot just let it be and say, well, it's all good. I can't do that. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in this world live with a deep level of dissatisfaction when we see people hurting, marginalized, discriminated against, and not cared for. We've got to do something. In our world right now, majority white churches, are losing credibility in minority communities when they don't deal with these very issues that devastate communities. The gospel needed in our community, in Alleny, in Feltonville, in Logan, in Philadelphia in 2018, is a gospel that not only goes after people's souls, but it goes after whole persons. Conservative Christians sometimes love to criticize prosperity preachers. Listen, we should criticize prosperity preachers. Their gospel is not the gospel. But often they opt for an equally distorted view of the gospel that ignores the crying need for justice for brothers and sisters of color. Here we cannot fail. The one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness cannot be satisfied when it's still safe to persecute, prosecute, and perpetuate ungodly terror on the most vulnerable in our society. We can't allow that to be the case. A couple years ago, my wife and I were having a conversation with a Christian couple, people that we were in deep relationship with. And without going into the details of it, I remember at the end of that conversation, my wife saying that what she came away with was this, that these folks felt that their imago Dei, that is the image of God, their image of God is better than my image of God as an African-American woman. And what I'd want to say is that that sense in our society is not rare that many times that people of color in my own experience not being one as you can tell but in my own experience with my brothers and sisters this sense of being seen as less than is real and palpable and so let me ask these questions as we consider what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness two questions number one are you committed to growing in personal holiness in other words do you actually care about how you're living your life and how it lines up with god's commands and god's words if you hunger and thirst for righteousness that matters to you that matters a lot we don't just write it off and say well this is just the way i am but secondly does your hunger and thirst for righteousness involve a passionate desire to see the Imago Dei valued in every person. That is a value of the kingdom of heaven. That is a value that Jesus is speaking to us in this verse. Well, I want to go on to the next verse. Not only is a heart aligned with God, only satisfied with righteousness, but also a heart aligned with God, a Jesus-aligned heart, is radically disposed towards mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm glad for that. <laughs> I need some of that. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is the beautiful and unique thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ Christ. Which is different from any philosophy, from any religion, from any wise saying of anyone else. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ do justice and love and mercy come together. Only in his gospel do we have this hope. Romans 5, or Romans 3, 25 and 26 puts it this way: God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement so to be just so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I love that. In other words, God is able to be just and let sinners off the hook. How can he do that? If God is holy, if God is righteous, if God is just, how is it that he lets criminals off? He does it because he poured out that penalty, not on you and not on me, but on Jesus the Christ. The son of the living God, the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb stood in your place and in my place, and the penalty of sin was poured out. And so the reality of that is that we are now recipients of the amazing grace of God. Something we don't deserve, amen. Something we'll never deserve. Are you getting this? The cross is the eternal proof that the God of the Bible is forever marked as the merciful one. The Greek word here translated mercy is eleemos, and it means kindness or concern expressed towards someone in need mercy compassion pity clemency here's the wonderful thing about this word it recognizes that the person is in need but listen to me now it doesn't try to pin where that need came from on the person you may be in need because of what someone has done to you i'm going to have mercy on you but you may very well be in need because of your own decisions, your own ungodliness, your own way going away from God. But God says, I will have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. God pardons at his own expense. There's an incredible display of this in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea, some of you know that book. I've been reading through the minor prophets and God is just messing with my mind as I read and study through the minor prophets. But Hosea, if you remember the story, was a prophet of God and he was called to marry a woman who was a known prostitute. God said, I want you to marry this woman. Her name was Gomer. And so he marries Gomer and they have three children. Some believe they they were all together. Some say, well, maybe some of the children were with someone else. I don't know. But the last of those three children, his name is Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami, which in Hebrew means not my people. I just want, I want you to think about this. Imagine your name is Lo-Ami, not my people. You are in sixth grade starting middle school. First day, new kids, new place, and here you are, and they're taking role. Joe Jackson, here. Debbie Thornton, here. Juan Carlos Vasquez, here. Not my people. You're like, I don't want to raise my hand. <laughs> Can you imagine that? But here we are, and they have these kids. But true to her nature, his wife goes out away from Hosea and begins to give herself to other men. Goes away from the marriage, leaves the marriage, and has all these relationships. And God tells Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go out and find that woman. Get your money together because you're going to need to buy her back. It's going to cost you money. You need to go out, you need to buy her back, and you need to tell her, I want you as my wife, That and and, I'm call, and I am promising you. God tells Hosea to promise her that he will be faithful to her. Most of us wouldn't do that. <laughs> but he says to Hosea, promise her you'll be faithful to her and ask her to be faithful to you as well brothers this is a story of the gospel of jesus christ i hope you see yourself in that story not as hosea but as gomer not as the one who was righteous and good and pursued the unrighteous one but as the one who is the prostitute in need of mercy and grace that is you that is me we have not only before we became christians but since we've been following the lord we have sinned marvelously we have spat in the face of the lord who has loved us we have been spiritual adulterers over and over again and yet god says you're mine i love you i am coming for you i'm bringing you to myself not long ago my wife and i were in downtown philly and we're going to Redding Terminal Market, and there was a group out there with a bullhorn and with signs. Some of you may have seen these signs before. And the sign, the big sign, says, God hates gays. And I know these people believe that they are out there representing Jesus Christ. But when I see that, my blood begins to boil And I want to do things that I know aren't necessarily from the Lord. But what what I'm thinking about is these people holding these signs sit in the place of God and yet have no idea of their own need for God's grace in their lives. How can you say God hates this group of people and not recognize your absolute dependence and need on his mercy every single minute of every day of your life. God did not come for the dressed up. He came for the messed up. I qualify. I bet you do too. Let me ask you this. Where have you made a practice of withholding mercy in the name of righteousness? Is that anywhere in your life where in the name of righteousness you feel that you can withhold mercy from another? When you become a person whose life is defined By being merciful, you are aligning your heart with Jesus' heart. Go on to the last point here today. Not only is a Jesus-aligned heart only satisfied with righteousness and radically disposed towards mercy, but a Jesus-aligned heart is also exclusively devoted to pleasing God. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Oh, I love that. The, this verse, that phrase, they will see God points back to a Hebrew phrase, Bar Levav in Hebrew. It's from Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 that says, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? The way I learned it was, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Verse 4, the one who has clean heart, a clean heart, clean hands and a pure heart. This phrase, one commentator says, this phrase, pure heart, means a singleness of heart. The honesty in which there's no hidden motive, no selfish interest, it is the tr- it is true and open to all things that come from God. This singleness of heart captures the idea of a pure heart. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful because sometimes we can be so theologically astute that our theology has the effect of watering down what it is that God wants to say to us so we say well no one is perfect like that yeah you're right no one is always perfectly single-minded yeah you're right but when we use that as an excuse to get out of aiming for the thing that God told us to aim at we are in effect watering down word jesus in his instructions to disciples says y'all pursue a pure heart a single minded focused heart i don't know about you but i can be very easily distracted never been diagnosed but i may be adhd i don't know My my wife sometimes thinks I am. I don't know, but and I know some people actually do have that diagnosis, and it's a difficult thing to live with. But I can be easily distracted. When I was writing this message, my phone is going off. There are text messages coming in. My calendar comes up on my computer screen and says, this is your next thing to do. Uh, I'm thinking about all kinds of different things. Some of you are sitting right here right now saying it's 1230. Is this man going to shut up so that I can hear, so I can watch the Eagles game?" Tell the truth and shame the devil, y'all. Our hearts are easily distracted. But a focused heart is a devoted heart. And it's the product of ongoing, intentional pursuit of God. It doesn't happen by accident. We don't become focused in pursuing God by just living life any old way. Psalm 46 and 10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. God is calling us to learn in the midst of a society and a time where you're overwhelmed in every way to get away, to stop, to be still, and to recognize He is God. Not just at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. But to develop that into your day, into your week, into your year, to develop rhythms of life where you are recognizing the glory of the great God throughout your life. Let me ask you this question. If you were on trial for having a heart devoted to God, would the evidence of your life back it up? You don't have to say ouch. I can feel the ouch. If if I was on trial for having a heart devoted to God, would the evidence point to that being the case? Psalm 24, I love this. David says that those who have clean hands and a pure heart are those who are in the very presence of God. And this is the promise of this verse. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Theologians call this the beatific vision. It's the idea of being in the very presence of God. 1 John 3, 2 says it this way, that when we see him, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That is the promise of God to the people of God, that we have this wonderful promise of being in his presence and not being dressed down because of our sin and shame the beautiful promise of the gospel listen many times in christian circles we can talk so much about our sin we can talk so much about our depravity we can talk so much about how messed up we are that we forget That in the eyes of our God, when we believe in Jesus Christ, He doesn't see you that way anymore. God is not obsessing about your issues, He's not. God is not worried about the areas of your life where you're not perfectly like Him. When he sees you, he sees a son. When he sees you, he sees a daughter. When he sees you, he sees his beloved. New Life family, want you to hear this. God not only loves you, you're in Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to hear this. God likes you easy to say well god loves you yes love is unconditional god not only loves you child of god but he likes you he likes you with your hangups, and he knows every one of them he likes you in spite of your ungodly thoughts he knows all the dirt that not even the person closest to you in the world knows the dirt on you god knows every last bit of it and he says not only do i love you but i like you i am so glad that you're my daughter what an amazing daughter you are i'm so glad that look at look at him right over there that is my boy i'm proud of him let me give you the lsv translation of this verse that's the larry smith version of matthew 5 8 blessed are those whose lives are consistently focused on god for they will receive the face-to-face affirmation and never-ending love of God himself. Brothers and sisters, that's what God wants to say to you. God is not the eternal prosecuting attorney of your soul. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, the prosecution rested The judge put down his gavel. He said, not guilty. Not only are you off, not only do you not have to do time, but I'm going to have you do time somewhere else, and that is in my house. The judge said, come into my house. The judge said, eat at my table. The judge said, I love you. What judge says, I love you? But the judge of the universe says, I love you. You're mine. When we think about someone with a heart aligned with Jesus, you might be thinking of a super spiritual saintly person that walks around with a halo. Look around, or look up here, they ain't here. There aren't any. Look at the scripture. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet the sins of David are out there. For all of us to see adultery, murder, and causing the death of many of his people because of his foolishness and lack of faith. And yet, David is a man after God's own heart. Moses had an anger problem, he got mad and he struck that rock, and God said, Speak to the rock. Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, the one who saw God like no one else saw God, just lost it in a moment. So if you're looking for someone with a heart aligned with God and you're looking to characters in the Bible or people around you, you're looking in the wrong place, there's really only one. His name is Jesus. He's perfectly aligned, and so we're called to align ourselves with him. God does not define you by your worst moments, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to you. So God's inviting you today to align your heart with him. That is a heart that hungers and thirsts for the demonstration of true justice and righteousness for all people. We don't stop at me and my house. We want to see all people receive true righteousness and real justice in this world. It is a heart that refuses to ever look down on another person, but desires to be an extravagant giver of mercy, even as we have received that same mercy. Last of all, it's a non-distracted heart, not flittering between a million different things, but marked by a consistent focus on pleasing God. I ask you, as I close, you just close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to read to you the words of contemporary song, and then I'm going to pray. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all sing hallelujah Christ is risen let me pray Father God we thank you this day for your perfect righteousness that bought for us what we could never in a million lifetimes buy for ourselves we thank you oh God for the abundant mercy that we have received in Christ and we pray that we may more and more be dispensers of that very same mercy to the glory of your great name. Lord, align our hearts with your heart. Glorify and exalt your name in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name.